This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, a shark attack has left an Australian tourist dead in New Caledonia. We find out if anything could have been done to prevent the tragedy. And women are taking to Facebook to find out if their partners have been cheating on them. But could the, could the group, is this your boyfriend, have legal risks at hand? Creating these sites, there's really no right of reply and certainly could be seen uh, potentially as defamation. And the Tonga twins are bringing Pacific power to the wrestling world. Oh my! Chops by Kona, taking down Genesis. Kona doing a little dance and there's a big one right across the left. We talk all about those moves with the twins later in the show. All that and more. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. So glad to have your company. First, though, a police operation is underway to rescue an Australian university professor and three researchers taken hostage in Papua New Guinea's remote highlands. Police Commissioner David Manning says the situation is delicate, but a specialised security force will use whatever means necessary, including lethal force, to safely rescue the hostages. The ABC understands that a group of armed men took the four researchers at gunpoint, Speaking to Beverly O'Connor, here's Papua New Guinea correspondent Natalie Whiting with what we know about what happened. So this research team was working in a rather remote part of PNG, doing some field work as part of an ongoing project when they've been confronted by an armed group that has taken them hostage. Now, there has been some mixed reports about the number of people involved, but sources actually on the ground have told me that it is one uh, professor from an Australian university and three Papua New Guinean colleagues who have been uh, taken hostage. Now, uh, we understand that that professor is an Australian permanent resident but a citizen of New Zealand. Uh, Along with those four members of the research team, some local guides were also initially taken captive before being released. Uh, But I've been told one of those local guides has actually opted to stay to remain with the research team. So even though he was given the chance of leaving, he's decided to to stay with those uh, four people who are being held captive. Yeah. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about this region and if if something like this is a common occurrence. Yeah, so it's happened in the highlands. Now, that refers to quite a, a large part of PNG, really, the whole central part where the mountain ranges are. Um, but it's in a part of the highlands, quite a remote part on the borders of the southern highlands and Heller provinces, sort of just up from western province. So it is a quite a remote area, uh, even in terms of of this region. Um, It's not common to see kidnappings like this in PNG. Uh, So the Prime Minister, James Marape, today did express uh, surprise and concern about this crime. And he also expressed some worry that this might set a precedent. Uh, But certainly it's not something that is common in PNG. What else has he had to say and what do you understand about how they may be trying to secure their release? 
Yes, Mr Marape has said that uh, lines of discussion are open. It's actually being done through some missionaries in the area uh, who are acting as intermediaries. They've been able to have conversations, including with the professor, over a satellite phone. Uh, so there are communication lines open. Uh, police on the ground are also monitoring the situation. They've told us that they believe um, the, the people have been moved between villages in the area. They're keeping an eye on things, but they don't want to escalate the situation. Mr Marape has certainly said there's a focus on trying to resolve this peacefully. Uh, that is the main focus, but he has also said that defence and security uh, personnel are on standby. So uh, what is your understanding of whether DFAT has become involved and is working with the PNG government? So at this stage, the Australian government has been contacted for comment, but hasn't at this point. Uh, we've also contacted the New Zealand uh, Foreign Ministry, uh, given that we believe this uh, gentleman is actually a New Zealand citizen while he does live in Australia. Uh, they've said they're aware of the case, uh, but uh, aren't commenting for privacy reasons. Uh, so, look, there are obviously a lot of sensitivities around this. There's also sensitivities um, on, on how much we're reporting uh, because the focus is, is clearly on, on trying to resolve this and, and ensure that uh, people are released. So, while there's likely work happening behind the scenes, no public comments from, uh, from the Australian government. That was a Papua New Guinea correspondent, Natalie Whiting, speaking there to ABC's Beverly O'Connor. And let's hear more from PNG Prime Minister James Marape. He said he'll work to reunite those captured with their families as soon as possible and warned the perpetrators they will be found. This is a trend of uh, criminal activities that uh, we will not tolerate in our country. Uh, we will work in the first instance. I just want to inform uh, those who engage in this one, there is no place to run, there is no place to hide uh, in our country. And uh, it is advisable for uh, those who are out there, we've heard you, uh, we know where you have moved uh, in from and where you are moving to. Uh, it is advisable that you work with the missionaries and counsellors and the local people on the ground. Uh, we got police and military on standby to assist, but in the first instance we want those cri uh, criminals to release those who are held in, in captivity. That was PNG's Prime Minister James Marape. And we do, of course, hope for a peaceful and safe return to those hostages uh, in Papua New Guinea. If you want to keep up to date with any developments, do stay tuned to ABC Radio Australia. You're listening to Pacific Beat this Tuesday morning. In the murky world of un online dating, many women feel their reports of bad behaviour won't be taken seriously by apps or authorities. That's given rise to a spate of Facebook pages where users share allegations of infidelity against men they have dated. Thousands have joined a page for Polynesians in Brisbane, with posts airing all kinds of dirty laundry to the masses. But, as Melissa Macon reports, experts say it could become a defamation minefield. If you're a Pacific Islander looking for love online, you've probably heard about this trend. Several pages have cropped up across Australia and the Pacific in recent weeks, where women cross-check their boyfriends with one another. Tongan woman Esetia Tupol created a group for Polynesians in Brisbane. She says she just wants to keep other Polynesian women safe, and there are now more than 7,000 members in the group. Um, me and my 
admin wanted to look out for our poly sisters, those that have been hurt or those that are concerned and those that were worried if their man was cheating. On the Brisbane-focused page, posts by members identify men by their name and photo and ask other members for the tea or gossip about them. Some post actually was really sad. Girls posting, I have really have faith in him, but I'm just, I'm just scared to to do this, this. I'm just wondering if anyone is talking to him. And then you see a bunch of girls saying, oh, girl, you better run. And this is what we wanted them to find out the truth, basically. Esatia says the page has caused quite a stir in the community. We've seen so much screenshots of people threatening each other. If you, like, bring up their past or anything like that, they'll get, like, you know, smashed. For us, admin and mods, we take it down so it doesn't escalate. The ABC reached out to several men featured on the Facebook page for Polynesians but did not receive a response. Esatia says girl cousins have also been vocal critics of the group. They bring up their past but they're in a um, stable relationship and the worst thing is, is the girl cousins are on there and so obviously they're going to be, you know, be arguing the comments saying, well, he's not that anymore and this, this, that. And then... Fijian social worker and academic Georgie Ravulo has a theory for why the page has gained so much traction in the diaspora. As Pacific communities, we're relationally and communally driven. I'm always conscious about the way in which family are also inextricably connected to that relationship and the way in which other family members may have an influence and impact on that relationship dynamic because our families are inextricably connected to our own individual identities. He's helped counsel Pacific Island couples who found themselves in this situation. Communication is key to any good relationship. In my experience of working as a counsellor with couples, one of the key things that I focus on a lot of the time is this idea of expectations and creating scope for those expectations to be communicated and understood. And that really does provide scope for people to then create a safe and sustainable relationship. A recent survey by the Australian Institute of Criminology found three in four of respondents had experienced a form of sexual violence by a person they met online in the past five years. Associate Professor Jacqueline Drew from Griffith University's Criminology Institute says not enough has been done to keep women safe online. It's difficult um, to identify or screen people that, that on the internet, you know, putting up their, their profiles unless they provide reliable information. But things are slowly changing. I think it's definitely on the agenda uh, for dating apps and and dating platforms that they believe that they have a responsibility uh, for the service they provide, that they're providing a safe environment for people to meet online. While it may be well-intentioned, Professor Drew says posting about current or former partners on social media is not the best way to resolve issues. By creating these sites, there's really no right of reply and certainly could be seen uh, potentially as defamation. Professor Drew says it might also put women in harm's way. If the the people that they're posting about um, have a violent history, um, that is going to um, spark cause, perhaps, as you've you've talked about, for revenge. Um, So there's an escalation of the dangers that are actually um, potentially going to be experienced by these, these women. She urged women to use official channels to make a complaint. Dating platforms 
can only look at the people that are using their platforms if they have information given to them. So I would certainly encourage women to use those formal channels that we have available to report bad behavior online or report information they think uh, needs to be, the dating platform needs to know about to protect others. The other side of that coin is that dating platforms and police agencies have to take this issue seriously. So they have to ensure that those reporting mechanisms are available, they're easy to use, uh, and they take the information seriously and they follow it up. To the girls, especially my, you know, Polynesian sisters, know your worth and your standards. Trust your guts. If he's not the right one, he's not the right one. Don't force anything. To the men, to those that does this, I just hope they grow out of it and see the bigger picture in life. That was a Facebook page administrator, SCTR, uh, sorry, Tupu, ending that report from Melissa Macon. You're listening to Pacific Beat this Tuesday morning. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. An Australian man has died after being bitten by a shark in Noumea, New Caledonia's capital. The 59-year-old tourist was swimming around 150 metres from Chateau Royale Beach when he was mauled several times. It's the third shark attack in less than a month in New Caledonia. For more, we're joined by academic and shark, Pacific shark expert, in fact, Eric Kluwer. Good morning to you, Eric, and welcome to Pacific Beat. Yes, good morning, Priyanka. Um, so this um, yes, sorry. No, no, sorry. I was telling you, I'm just in Fiji, not far from you. Oh, you're in Fiji. Yes, indeed. Not very far from us at all. But um, this is very sad, um, this circumstance that has happened in New Caledonia, not far from either of us, I guess. Three shark attacks in less than a month there. What, what, is, it, what is happening? Is this shocking to you? Well, of course, it's, it's a tragedy, like, like usually. But people may get the feeling that, you know, that shark attacks are increasing in Pacific. But I would say that it's not really the case. You know, if you look at statistics, doesn't really move uh, and, and increase. There is basically two hotspots, you know, for shark attacks. One is Australia and the other one is unfortunately New Caledonia. But we have something on average like one or two fatal bites, you know, each year. So that doesn't really change. Maybe what Make, makes people think uh, there is an increase. It's what we call cluster. You know, the cluster, the, the concept is like several bites, you know, in a confined area with a very short uh, period of time. And that actually uh, happened in, in Australia a few years ago, and it's now happening, you know, in New Caledonia. So basically, I think we have a problem with, uh, with a single shark, you know what I mean? And with uh, several bites by the same individual. And that gives the feeling that, that, that things have changed, that that uh, I would say shark became crazy, but it's not really the case, actually. Okay, so so you suspect this might be the same shark causing these uh, attacks. I mean, you said it, it isn't a crazy shark behind it, but but why why might a shark be returning to um, bite humans in such a way? Well, the, yes, that, that that I would say that is a, a tricky question, actually. Um, the, the hypothesis I'm working now on, and I, I basically trust it more and more every day, I would say that uh, recently in the Caribbean, we just showed that a tiger shark uh, had bitten uh, twice, you know, people um, in a very uh, close area, like 85 kilometers apart and, and one month uh, apart, you know, for, for, from the, the two bites. Basically, uh, we are we are facing what we call a problem individuals, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and these animals, actually, they are very, very few, very scarce and what we have to understand that they they require to have very specific you know 
personalities uh, being very bold, very risk-taking. And, and I would say that there are so few because they must dare, you know, attacking, you know, a human, uh, given that humans are not actually instinctive praise, you know, for the sharks. That is, that is something that it's very critical to, to understand. So these sharks that are, I, I repeat, it's quite bold and risk-taking, you know, they need, they need that, which is personality traits, specific ones. They need a personal history also, which is based on, on positive reinforcement, being bold, you know, they, 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 they get awarded for that. They need to be very hungry and they need also to face or uh, to encounter, you know, um, a good opportunity, you know, to, to, feed, to feed on humans. So if you put all that together, actually, you better understand that there is actually very few uh, uh, bites uh, of what we call predation, because actually in that case, and it's a bit scary, I, I, I admit it, you know, the human is considered a, as a prey, but that doesn't really happen often, as I said, like maybe once or, or a couple of times a, a year. Okay, so very interesting. Um, that, so, so according to your research, it sounds like, as you said, there are these problematic sharks that where the environment and also their own sort of risk-taking behavior works, that um, they do perform these tragedies, they do happen to bite humans. I mean, it, it almost sounds like we're, we're talking about sociopaths as we would, you know, humans or serial killers in, in our societies. Is it the so same sort of thing, this very rare type of shark that attacks humans? Yes, actually, uh, if you make a comparison and you're right by doing that, you know, we have serial killers that are human beings, you know, homo sapiens. That doesn't make homo sapiens a, a, a problem. But with sharks, we don't think the same way and we should think the same way. Like 99.9% of sharks will never dare attacking humans, but we have what we call problem individuals. We can call them deviants. But I don't even like that term, you know, because the shark by itself is just a predator, which is extending, you know, is, is a foraging niche, we call that. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so they're, they, they, they're responsible without being responsible for that. So that's even why I don't like the word attack. I prefer to, to mention the word of bite, you know, because mm -hmm. it's more natural, you know, a natural process. Oh, interesting. And Eric, I wanted to return now to, to this um, tragedy in New Caledonia with this Australian man dying. Now, the New Caledonia's response to this has been quite swift. They've evacuated and closed all the beaches. And they've also done something that's a bit more controversial. They've launched a campaign to capture and kill the sharks. Um, and this happened previously with those two other shark attacks in, in the last month as well. Now, some say that, you know, this is sort of going on over the top, that, you know, there should be a more humane response. What do you make it? Make of it? Is, is the right response to, to kill, to, to um, do this culling campaign of the sharks? No, it's definitely not the right the right uh, approach. I would say uh, that that is the approach that was applied since the 60s, and and we we were never, from a scientific pure scientific point of view, never able to to demonstrate that it works. And if you take the the uh, last uh, example, which is La Réunion Island, you know, in the in Indian Ocean, you know, mm -hmm. they had that problem of cluster also. So there was like five fatal attacks, you know, between. 2010 and 2013. So they started what we call killing campaigns, you know, these blind campaigns that you are killing sharks without any uh, discrimination. And between 2014 and 2020, they had 
six additional fatal attacks. So we know now that it doesn't work, even work. So it's not even about deontology, which is also a problem, you know, in that case. It's just that it doesn't work. So on the contrary, I, what I am proposing is, is a much uh, adapt, you know, strategy, which is actually to find these problem individuals. And for doing so, we need to do two things that so far we are not really implementing, unfortunately. First of all, we need to to get the DNA of the shark, you know, on the victims. We, we need to do swabbings, you know, like, like you do, you know, in medical forensics, you know, for humans. We need to do that, you know, after shark attacks. When we, we do that, and as we did actually in, in the Caribbean, as I already mentioned, we proved that it was the same shark through genetics, actually. So we have to do that on one side. And on the other side, we can fish sharks, but not for killing them. You know, we just fish them to identify them. So when, when you catch a shark, you get the DNA of the shark and you, you make sure that you can recognize that shark from a, a visual point of view. You can do photo identification. You can, go, you can do some markings. You know what I mean? So then you have that, that database, which is increasing step by step, you know, mm. and then you can identify the, the, the problem sharks and you can retrieve it. But I would say surgically, you know, you, you, don't, you don't kill other animals. You just kill the animal that you have the proof that he has, he has been beat, biting already. Uh, we should identify the shark, you know, by recovering, by doing swabbing, you know, on the victim. Then we can get the individual profile, genetic profile of the shark. And then we should be uh, uh, we should be fishing shark, but not for killing them, for killing them. We should be fishing them, you know, to identify them. And of course, if we can get that, that shark identified, then we can we can surgically, you know, retrieve it, take it from, from, from the ecosystem. But, mm-hmm. but it's worth, it, it's useless, I mean, to kill other um, uh, other shark that has, they have nothing to do, you know, with with the, with the problem actually. Yes, because is is part of it. I mean, they've done this culling campaign with the two other attacks or, or bites or, or attempted bites before in New Caledonia, um, but they haven't. I mean, if if you if what if your suspicions are correct, they haven't actually identified this problematic shark. Does that mean there's a risk that it could attack again? Yes, of course. Of course, because when you do killing campaigns, you do you do that in a very blind way. You know, you kill sharks, but it's not even sometimes the good the good I mean the, the good the good species. Mm. In New Caledonia they have been killing like lately tiger sharks and we know that the problem are, are bull sharks. So it's completely I mean nonsense, you know, to, to kill the wrong species and even even killing uh, bull sharks will, will be also nonsense because you're never sure that you will find you know the right shark, unless you have that genetic approach that I, that I am promoting since years now. And unfortunately, you know, uh, local authorities they, they they don't want to hear me. You know, they they go for for short term poli- political short term policies, and I think they they again that they they useless and unacceptable from a deontologic point of view. Thank you for your time, Eric. That was a Pacific shark expert, Professor Eric Kluwer, speaking to us about that tragic incident there in New Caledonia where an Australian man died after being bitten by a shark. Tune in to SBS Samoa News on ABC Radio Australia. SBS Samoa News features independent news and stories connecting you to life in Australia and Samoan-speaking Australians by our friends at SBS Australia. SBS Samoa News. Tune in Mondays and Thursdays at 6.05am Samoan time for one hour of news in the Samoan language on ABC Radio Australia. Hold the front page! 
listening to Pacific Beat, and unfortunately we did lose that line with our uh, shark expert, uh, Eric Klua, there. Um, but it is time for News Wrap. So we have uh, Kyle Evans, reporter Kyle Evans, with us. Very interesting stuff there, speaking about sharks, isn't it, Kyle? Yeah, very interesting, terrifying uh, in some yes. ways. I think it's everybody's uh, a bi- biggest fear. But uh, look, uh, as, uh, as as Eric said before, you know, they're, um, they are, are often misunderstood creatures. Yes, 99.9%, he said, uh, are safe. It's only these a few problematic ones that, that cause these attacks. Um, well, if we do get him later, maybe even separately, uh, we will try and update, at least online, about what we can do if we, that was the question I really wanted to get answered, what we can do if we do identify a shark nearby. Does the punch in the nose really uh, really that, work or yes. the, the, the eye gouge? I've oh, heard that one as well. It's not a very pleasant or one. Or just though. swim. Swim as fast as you can in the opposite direction um, and hope that you're not you're not crossed one of the problematic sharks as we were discussing. Um, but anyway, let's head to Fiji where Professor Kluwer was actually because the former Prime Minister has delivered a very interesting apology to say the least. This was to Fiji's public, a part of, as we've been covering, conditions imposed by Parliament. Part, one of those conditions was that he be suspended, Mr. Bainimarama be suspended for three years. Another one was this apology. So how did it all unfold? What did he say? Yeah, so uh, Mr. Bainimarama, who's obviously the opposition leader as well, he delivered uh, this apology via Facebook. Mm. And uh, it looks short and sweet to uh, to say the least, and I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts on it. It, uh, it said, I quote, one of the conditions imposed by Parliament in relation to my suspension from Parliament is that I apologise to the Fijian public. Mm. Uh, it is in this context that I apologise to the Fijian public. Thank you. Yeah, very, very interesting set of words there. We we, we did speak um, to uh, the professor from the Fiji National University yesterday, um, Mosmi Bim, who's a politics professor. She did note that Mr. Bainimarama has um, has a reputation of being qu- quite a proud leader mm. um, and that she doubted that he would apologize. And this sort of seems to be a balance of both, isn't it? It's, apology, it's an apology, but being made very clear that he's only doing it because he was asked <laughs> to do it, right? Yeah, that's right. And I think the, the reactions have probably reflected that as well. They have been quite mixed. Uh, obviously, he, he's very popular in some ways as well. And so he, he did get some support from it while others sort of said that, you know, they were, I guess the apology was a bit, um, a bit not, not sincere, a bit, bit mm. facetious in some ways. Um, uh, the PM said of any Rambuka, he, he wasn't in, impressed with the apology, but uh, and here is what he had to say. If it was up to us, if it was up to some members like me, a genuine apology from Mr. Bainamarama would have sufficed. However, as some of you saw on national television and on the internet last Friday night, no regret or even an iota of admission of guilt was forthcoming from him. Yes, that was uh, Prime Minister Sidiveni Rambuka there. He was mentioning Friday night, which is when the suspension and this demand for an apology was put in place. Um, we understand this was released via Twitter, you know, after Mr. Bainimarama made this apology, which I guess some say was not quite an apology. So very interesting to see where this leads. Um, there was some speculation that if the apology was made, maybe his suspension time might be reduced. But considering this, I, I wonder if that'll that'll go ahead. So very, very interesting. Now, let's stay in Fiji for the moment. Um, Fiji will, of course, host a Pacific Islands Foreign Special Leaders meeting this week. Um, what do we know about that meeting? 
Yeah, so uh, Fiji will welcome a number of Pacific leaders uh, to Nandi uh, from February 23rd, which I believe is two, day- two days from now. It's 21st mm. today, isn't it? I yes. should know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the event, and yeah, basically, so the main point of the event is that it will transfer uh, the official sh- um, chairing responsibilities for the upcoming uh, Pacific Islands Forum meeting uh, to Cook Islands PM Mark Brown. Uh, it will also sort of, uh, help to welcome Kiribati back, uh, back into the fold. So this is reported uh, by a few publications. Publications, uh, mainly by uh, by Stuff, which is a New Zealand publication, as mm-hmm. well as uh, Fiji Village, and leaders will also discuss uh, Japan's plans to uh, release nuclear wastewater uh, at the in the Pacific, as well as some other things as well. Yes, yes, very interesting um, to find out who will be there and what will be on the agenda. Um, we'll obviously be reporting on um, all the action. Well, we'll see if there is action at that um, retreat. Uh, what gets discussed and what happens, as much as as the media are, are allowed to report on those things. Um, So do stay tuned, as you said, in a couple of days, that'll all kick off. Now let's head, um, well, to this very interesting story. This is about a Vodafone TV commercial. It's been taken off air because it has been uh, said to depict Samoan culture as violent. What has happened? Yeah, really interesting one. So this is reported by Talamua Online News and uh, the telco Vodafone uh, was ordered to remove uh, their recent ad by the International Telecommunication Union uh, for portraying Samoan culture in a negative uh, and violent way. So basically the ad was pretty simple in some ways. It's, uh, it showed uh, a Samoan chief uh, instructing a number of men uh, in traditional attire to uh, essentially tie up a, a European man or a, a European-looking tourist uh, on a pole by his uh, his legs and feet. Uh, they then buried him to the point where only his head was showing in the sand, but then uh, released him when his phone rang and he told the village that he was in fact a Vodafone customer, Priyanka, and it turns out the village were as well. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to laugh. I, I haven't seen this ad myself, but um, it seems like quite a quite a stretch to sell phones. <laughs> um, but yeah, a shame. I guess I guess it's one of those things where when representation of of particular groups, particularly Pacific Islander groups, is so low already in the media, to have representations that might you know lean on tropes and stereotypes mm. is is no good. Um, but yeah, very interesting ad um, and interesting move by Vodafone TV. Um, Carl, thank you for the stories. Thank you, Priyanka. You're listening to Pacific Beat this Tuesday morning. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. And do I have a treat for you? In America, the Tonga Twins are taking the wrestling world by storm. The following contest is scheduled for one fall. Introducing first from the islands of Tonga. That is Kona and Chaos, the names of Ashley and Stephanie, who are currently competing and starring on TV in Women of Wrestling. Chaos and Kona join us now. Welcome to Pacific Beat to you, the Tonga Twins. Hey, thank you for having us. Welcome, welcome. So I understand that you're both currently in America, in California, and you've had an amazing journey up to this point to get onto um, the women of wrestling. In the past, you've both had basketball careers and families that you were racing before you went to wrestling. Can you tell us, what was it? What was it about wrestling that lured you both in? Ooh, wrestling. Well, you know, the journey itself, it's long. It's it's still ongoing. It's still a marathon. 
we both started playing basketball since we were six years old. Um, so wrestling, when well, we stopped playing basketball, um, there, we, we had this void. And so wrestling filled that void. And, you know, we grew up um, just around all our boy cousins. So we've always been strong and we just athletic. love to fight and athletic. And so wrestling felt that void for us. Right. And we just uh, noticed the lack of representation for um, Tongan women. Mm -hmm. And we just decided to come back together and you know, right. be, a, be a voice for our Tongan community. Yeah. And, and change that lack of representation of Polynesian women because, you know, you only see the men out there. So, you know, it's, it's for us Polynesian women to shine on, on TV. Right. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about about that because yes, you, Tonga Twins is your name, and for those who don't know, you your wrestling out, outfits really do pay homage to your um, Polynesian, your Tongan heritage. Um, why is it important for you to make your Tongan heritage so front and center of what you do? So it's it's important to us that um, you know we represent our culture authentically but also respectfully and i think because you know we're second generation tongans and our parents and grandparents they they migrated here from the island so basically they left everything just to come here to the states to build a a better future you know opportunity better yeah better life for their future kids which is us and we just want to prove the point that you know what they did the sacrifices that they did is worth it so our if we can represent our culture to the fullest and mm -hmm. and make them proud. Yeah. And not only that, it's, you know, Polynesian. We're, we're not the norm out there in mainstream and television. So it's very important that we get our faces out there. So, you know, back then, nobody really knew what Tongan was, what mm -hmm. Samoan was. And so it's very important that we, we get our, our culture out there. Yeah, and with Wild while women of wrestling, we get to display. We they let us do that, so it's it's we love it. Yeah, yeah. How, how much control do you have over that? Because I, I understand while women of wrestling is a massive, you know, production, a massive promoter of of women's wrestling. Do they let you dress? You know, come up with your moves and everything quite independently, or do they have some some say over it? Yeah, well, see, while women are wrestling, it, they give us a, a platform to be us, to be authentically us. Yes. And that's what I love about while women are wrestling. It's about empowerment. It's about, you know, the roster here, it's very diverse. And, you know, we get to be, we're like 100%, we get to be us. We're, we yeah. are the Thongas. Yeah, we are the Thongas. Like, that's us. Mm -mm. Yeah. 100% control. We are the Thongas wins. Well, that, that's good to, good to hear. I, I, and you said that, um, you know, part of what you wanted to do is, is you know, not, uh, give a nod to your, to your heritage, to your parents who came to America as immigrants. But were, were there any eyebrows raised when you said that, you know, we want to get into wrestling, we want to try, try this out? What, what was your family's reaction? Ooh. Oh, no. Our family, they're full supporters. <laughs> if you know... Polynesians, Pacific Islanders, we're known to do, we're known to do these things. Yeah. Like, it's built. It's in our blood. Yeah. We're known to do. The only thing I would say that my, our, our father did say is when we would come home and he's like, I'd be like, I'm on a diet. And he's like, um, that's not what I fed you guys when y'all, when you guys were little, like, 
we eat pig, we um taro, <laughs> manioke, like we're not in no diets. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so yeah. so you're representing your um, Pacific heritage, not only on the outside with what you wear and your performance, but it sounds like on the inside with your food as well. Exactly. Yeah. We as well. Words for the fullest. Corn beef. <laughs> Oh yeah, the corn beef on brand. <laughs> I mean, I wanted I wanted to ask because there have been Polynesian twin wrestling duos in the past, but both of you, Kono and Chaos, you're the first set of female Tongan twins, female Polynesian Pacific Islander twins in professional wrestling. What does that mean to you? It it means a lot because, like, going back to the journey of of how we got to wrestling, we started this journey with a. Uh, a goal and a dream. The goal was to be the first Tongan twin female wrestlers. So first. Check mark. So first. And again, the dream was to, you know, change, to be the role model for all the little Polynesian girls out there and the women out there. So it it, it means a lot. It means a, a lot. We're, we're representing a whole island. Yeah. And, and being the first, um, yeah, we made history. We made history. <laughs> and this- I keep on making history at Wild Women Wrestling. Yes, and if you are just tuning in to Pacific Beat, we are speaking to these, well, groundbreaking, history-making uh, wrestlers. It's Chaos and Kona. They are together the Tonga Twins, and they're making their mark in a, the the arena of uh, World of Female Wrestling. Oh, well, actually, what is the, what is the name? W- women of wow. Wrestling. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> women of Wrestling. Yes, that's right. Um now, I, w- I wanted to ask, you know, you've been talking about the other, um, the, the, I guess, importance or the popularity of wrestling among Polynesians, among Pacific Islanders. And in fact, when you began your wrestling careers, I understand that you trained with WWE Hall of Fame Samoan wrestler Ricky Shi. How did that impact the way you approach your careers? Was, were they a bit of an inspiration to you? Oh, yes. Ricky Shi was a, a big inspiration, you know, just being, um, big and you know we're big women and so um, when we thought who's going to train us we already knew that we're going to go back to you know our, our, roots. our roots and be trained the way Polynesian yeah, trained. exactly and so he he pl- played a huge role in our, our wrestling journey and our wrestling career and um, going back to the training um, it was a hard hitting training <laughs> it was just our dad teaching us. Yeah, exactly. Back at home. So it meant a lot to us. Yeah. Well, what yeah. did you have to learn? Because especially coming from something like basketball to go into wrestling, quite a different, you know, wrestling is totally compa- uh, contact. Um, and there's the whole performance behind wrestling as well. What were some of the hardest things that you had to tra- train and, and prepare for? Well, with um, I, wrestling is physical and with us, when we played basketball, we were physical. So I think, um, I can't even think what was the hardest thing. The no, hardest thing is when we have to, what we did have to train, we would have to train with each other. And oh, yeah. so Definitely right. I think that was the hardest thing. But training itself, it's um, it's as if you're training to go fight out there and you just never know what's going to happen in the end. And so... Yeah, I don't think anything was hard because we were yeah. we were fully prepared. 
Well, that's a good sign. It sounds like you 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 were just you know completely ready for for wrestling and, and whatever it brought to you. Um, exactly. Born for it. Yeah, born for it. Yeah, exactly. And and it is such an intense sport. You know, I am not an in-depth fan, but I have seen my bit of wrestling. And oh, the, some of the moves are crazy and incredibly scary. What, what are some of your favorite moves that you dispose of yourself or, or you've encountered uh, your time, during your time in the ring? Um, my favorite move, give up, giving to my opponents is... Our finisher, it's the the Tonga drop. The Tongan drop. <laughs> What's your favorite move? The same? Oh, it's the finisher, the Tongan drop. Oh, yeah. What is the Tongan and drop? It? Tell us what the Tongan drop is. Oh, <laughs> I can't do it on her. You're going to fight. It's a, Samo- it's a Samoan drop with, with a cutter, but we made it our own way. Yeah. So and we put it together. It's a, du- it's a double move, and that's how we finish our opponent. Wow, wow. So I, I understand if, if uh, well, I've got a clip for w- one of my favorite moves that I've seen um, that you do. And, and to to sort of bring it up in audiences' eyes, it's sort of, I, I don't know if it's Yukoa's or um, like, uh, Chaos or Yukona who um, sort of uh, flip your opponent on their head and, and sort of bring them crashing onto the ground. Take a listen. Hopefully you can picture it in your minds. And a yeah, slap that, as well. That was you, Kona, behind that. Yeah, that's, that is my favorite move. That's um, Kona coming in to save me when it's three against one. Yeah, that's so that's the Kona drop. Oh, so that's so the I Kona have, drop. I pay homage to where I'm from, the city that I'm from. And it's like a, a little dance that, you know, everybody knows. It was like a hyphy movement where, from, where we're from in the Bay Area. So it was like a gas break dip into... The big old punch that you've seen. Wow. Uh, so, if, if listen- to my city that I was raised in. So that's what it is. Oh, lovely. So, uh, how much to, to tell me? Because that, not a lot of people do that. Well, nobody can do it because they're not, they're not from where we're from. <laughs> <laughs> So you've got your stamp on on that and that move, um, and yeah, listeners, do check them out on on YouTube because it is is amazing. And I've got to ask ask both of you, Kona and Chaos. You know, some people see wrestling. I mean, there's this mentality that wrestling isn't isn't all real. It's just theatrics. It's not not physical enough. It's not a sport. All the allegations are fake. What do you say to those haters who who um, throw those words out to to wrestlers like yourselves? Hi haters, but <laughs> yeah, first hi haters. But uh, I would say come in, come in the ring, come in the ring with the Tonga twins, yeah, and see if wrestling is fake. There's nothing yeah. fake about those bruises nope. on our opponents. Yeah, I mean, do you guys get bruises as well? What are the, what are the um, the injuries that that you you might have encountered? Um, so we, we get bruises from intense training, getting prepared for our opponents and all the soreness. Like it, it's physical. Yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get natural bruises or when they when we do get hit, impacted by a punch. Just, yeah, yeah, it, it is incredibly physical. I mean, for those people who say call it fake or not real, they just need to see see it to to realize yeah. what, what how physical the it's, whole thing is. It, 
stops, nothing to think about the punches that we throw. Yeah, yeah, there's power behind it all, isn't it? Um, and 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 a bit of theatrics and performance, which just ramps the whole thing up. Because I wanted to ask you about that. You know, the Polynesian Pacific Islanders and wrestling do seem to go hand in hand. You know, you've got you've got the greats like The Rock. You've also got um, Rikishi that you mentioned. Your your trainer your, um, yourself. What what is this thing with Pacific Islands Islanders, Polynesians, and wrestling that make it such a perfect fit? I think it's, you know, we're just naturally strong. And like you said, you have the greats like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, and Rikishi and Troy Palomalu for NFL. But now it's time for the woman, like the Tonga twins. The Tonga twins. Exactly. And again, it's time for the women to show that we're also strong and beautiful, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yeah, exactly. Give give the men a run run for the money. Exactly. And what's coming up next for your wrestling careers? I mean, every time we mention, yeah, people like The Rock, you know, there are thoughts. Do you want to get into acting anymore? Showbiz? What do you see the future of of your wrestling careers? Well, right now, we're only focused solely on wow, women wrestling. <laughs> and, you know, just, we just we're just focused on making history here and, and woman empowerment. And we just want to keep elevating our shows, ourselves, our, the Tonga Twins. And don't forget, sis, that we want to get all the gold and or silver. Yeah, whatever it about, is. Yeah, right now, we're only worried about those championship, tag, yeah, titles. championship titles. And yeah. And the I understand the well. Do you call it the season? It's still underway, right? Is that right? While we're we're right. wrestling, we're right now on episode twenty three. Um, so, uh, also new episodes of Wow Women Are Wrestling is now streaming exclusively on Tenplay in Australia. So, if you want to catch the Thonga Twins, you gotta get on Tenplay. Yeah, you, you can catch it this Saturday. So tune in. Yes, that that's right. You can so you can see it here in Australia, and if you're listening around the Pacific, well, the way I've been encountering you guys is just by hitting uh, on YouTube and and seeing all the amazing moves. Chaos and Kona, thank you so much for your time this morning on Pacific Beat and all the best making history there in the world of wrestling. Thank you. Thank you. you. That was the Tonga twins themselves. That's Chaos and Kona, Ashley and Stephanie, the professional wrestling duo, as they said. You can catch their amazing physical prowess. Amazing theatrics, and of course that Tongan flavor there in the women of wrestling on TV and, well, online. You can see them all around. Um, That just about brings us to the end of Pacific Beat. As a reminder of our top story this morning, we had an update on the hostage situation there in Papua New Guinea, where a university professor and three researchers have been taken hostage in the remote highlands. Police have said that an operation is now underway to rescue them safely. They said that the situation is delicate, but they will use whatever means necessary. If you want to catch up on that story or anything else, well, you can stay tuned to ABC Radio Australia or head on to our website. That's ABC Pacific. I'll be back tomorrow. Until then, have a lovely day.